Okay. Man, so glad. It's so great to see you, as Jeff was saying. So good to see you uh, without all bundled up with falls and bruises on your body and stitches in different places from, and all this sort of stuff and, and no frostbite or anything like that that I can see, at least anyway. And especially want to say welcome to those that are online, wherever you are in the world. Uh, thank you for allowing us to be a part of your spiritual journey. Uh, we're, on, we're starting a new message series this weekend. We're calling it uh, Life-Changing Words. Uh, we're beginning the season, what we call Lent around here. We'll learn a little bit more about that in, in a moment. And this, this series has really been kind of wrecking me in getting ready for this. And my prayer is it's going to wreck you in a good way. That God is going to mess you up in a good way. As we just kind of work through some, some life-changing words that I think have little words have big impact upon your life. And so let's dive in like this. Uh, this past week, I had to get out during this epic storm like many of you did before the next wave came in uh, to go pick up a little extra supplies at the store. And I found myself at a local city market, and there were no parking spaces. I mean, everybody in Burleson was there. I mean, everybody showed up. And there was no place to park. And so I was trying to find a place to park, and I see these, these tail lights, these brake lights uh, kind of flat. Okay, there's somebody about to back out. So I pull up, turn on my signal like I'm claiming that spot. You, may, you, know, you know the drill. I'm claiming that spot. You know, that's my space. That's my space. And so I pull up there, and I'm ready to turn in, and the guy gets in the car, and he just sits there. And he takes his mask off and gets it all situated, kind of adjusts the rearview mirror maybe a little bit, you know, plays with the radio, his phone, is sitting there, I'm going, he knows I'm here. And I begin to think, he's intentionally making me wait. I know that's what he's doing. I'm looking around, I see other people backing out, people pulling in, I'm going, what's the deal here, dude? I mean, what? And so in my mind, I'm going, that's what he's doing, so I decide I need to communicate that I know what he's doing. <laughs> but I'm going to do it in a nice way, so I put it in park, and I get out of my car, and I walk up to the window, right? And I'm just getting ready to acknowledge that I know, I want you to know I know, I know. And so he rolled the window down and said, hi, Pastor Rick, how you doing? <laughs> and I said, I'm doing great, man. How are you? Are y'all making it okay? Yeah. I said, listen, just take your time. I got plenty of time. You just do all you want. I went back to my car. Now, let me just ask you, have you ever been in a situation where you felt like, you noticed, felt like somebody was intentionally not making space for you. You felt like it. Now, maybe they weren't, but you felt like they were not making room or space for you. Now, the Journal of Applied Social Psychology has did a little study on drivers, people like you and me who drive. And here's what they have found. That you and I will intentionally stay longer in a parking place, subconsciously, when somebody's waiting than we would when somebody was not waiting. It's like we're saying, this is my space, and I'm marking my space. I want you to know this is my space. And if they honk their horn, and if they act a little impatient, like they're in a hurry to do something, this research says we'll wait four times longer. You know who you are. Yeah. In human psychology, we call this territorialism. You go into a restaurant, right? The lines get a little long. All the research shows, the longer the line, you're at your table, you go, <laughs> you should have got here earlier. This is my table. This is my space. You can't have my space. I will stay in my space as long as I want. This is my space, and you can't have it. 
Now, where this is really a problem, and there's many places the problem, is in our relationship with God. Because this is what many of us have done, not deliberately, not intentionally, but subconsciously. Our lives are so busy, we're so full, we got so many responsibilities, so much to do, we're protecting our boundaries and the contours of our life, just protecting them, that so often we get to a place where we say, you know what, God, I, I don't have time to read this thing. I don't have time to. I don't have space to pray. I, I, don't, have the, I don't have the time to. I, I don't have the time to do this, this self-examination of my soul, this fearless moral inventory to find out what's not right on the inside of me. I just don't have the time or space to do that. I don't have time to have real good close friends, soul friends, to invest the time to have a really tight, really good, good friend. I don't have time to do that. I don't have time to serve. I don't have time to give. I don't have the space to do that. We're starting this series this week, and we're calling it Life-Changing Words. And what we're going to do is, because you're all so busy, have all this use, full schedule, and so much stuff coming into your head, we're just going to give you one word each week. Just one simple, one word, one word all week long. Just one word each week. And I'm going to ask you to just kind of focus on this one word. I'm going to ask you to do your life steps. If you don't know what the life steps are, download our app, please, onto your phone, and you'll, play, you'll, you'll go there onto media. You'll see our life steps, just the short scripture, just a little question to wrestle with this one word. And it's my belief and my hope as we walk through this thing that we call Lent, with Jesus to the cross and the empty tomb, that not only are you going to experience life change, but primarily we're all going to make more space for God in our life. Because we're crowding him out. Now, a word that we're introducing this morning is no. No is a very important word. It's a freeing word. It's a liberating word. It's a word that some of you used to say very well when you were young, joyfully, recreationally, cheerfully. Your parents would tell you, eat your peas. You would say no. Clean up your room. No. Share your toys. No. Now is put down that phone. No. Over time, you learn that as you're growing up as a child that, that people don't like to hear the word no. They don't like you when you say no. So we start saying yes. And we've learned that when we say yes, people like us more. So we don't say no because people don't like to hear it. And they don't like to hear from us. And when we say no, stuff like this happens and we don't want to hear it. Can you see this? No. <laughs> Brylin, no. <laughs> Cooper, no. No. And since we don't want more of that, especially from grown-ups, we say yes. And we get good at saying yes. And the problem is we say so many yeses. Yes to bosses. Yes to obligations. Yes to practices. Yes to teams. 
Yes to recreational stuff. Yes to this Netflix, and yes to this, yes to that, yes to that. Yes to people that we don't even know. Yes to people we don't even like. That all of a sudden you find yourself in this place living a decent and respectable life, but you're exhausted, you're fatigued, you're resentful. On the inside, you're a little angry, and we're living godless, little g, godless little lives. No is a very important word. Yes is a great word. We'll get to that. But some of us need to learn the art and the beauty and the wonder and the gift of this little word called no. I know yes is sexy. Yes is fun. It's a lot of fun. We put yes on tote bags. We put yes on t-shirts. Nobody wants to sit by the guy with the big old sweatshirt that says no. Who wants to sit by that big bundle of fun? No. And there are some people that are like that. But somebody needs to write this down. I don't know who, online, in the house. No is the scalpel that God wants to use to perform spiritual surgery in your life. Let me repeat that. No is the scalpel that God wants to use in some of you to perform spiritual surgery in your life. This is true in the Bible. We see it in several places. There was a man named Joseph whose family upbringing was not the best, a little dysfunctional. They sold him into slavery. They left him for dead, told their daddy was dead. He winds up having a pretty hard life. He gets a job. And his boss, his wife, comes on to him. Joseph hadn't had fun in a long time. His wife comes up to him and says, hey, let's have some fun. Let's have a little frolic in the hay. Innocent, just have some fun. And Joseph, who knows his identity and his mission, says, no. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Their life didn't turn out the way they expected. Anybody here online or in the house, your life has not turned out exactly like you expected? Life was a little harder than they expected. And all of a sudden, someone's going to come to give them some relief from this hard life and say, hey, you can have a relief in this hard life if you just worship these idols. Hey, we're all invited to worship an idol or two. We all have an idol or two in our lives. And they were asked, hey, if you would just fall down and worship this idol, but because they knew their identity and they knew their mission, they said, no, not going to do that, no. In the Old Testament, there's a great leader. His name is Nehemiah. One of the greatest leaders in Scripture is kind of hidden in here. And Nehemiah was asked to do something great for God. He's asking him to go and rebuild the walls around Jerusalem and help to set up the rebuilding of the temple. And I want to make sure everybody here understands this. If God ever asks you to do something great for him, there will be people and groups who will try to distract you to say yes to something else so you will sabotage the great thing God's asked you to do. Maybe God's asked you to really focus on building a great marriage. God's focused to rebuild and strengthen a great family. 
Maybe it's a business God asked you to start. Whatever it is. Maybe it's some mission project. Maybe it's some BHAG, some big, hairy, audacious God goal that God's put in your heart, that God said called you to do it. And when God asks you to do something great, the voices of the world will try to speak to you to say yes to something else. And that's exactly what happens to Nehemiah. They want to have a conversation. They want to meet with him and talk with him about stuff. They want to interrupt him. But look what Nehemiah says. Some of you need to memorize this, mark this down, put it in your notes, go back to the scripture. You need to memorize to say this yourself. Verses 3, this is what Nehemiah says. So I sent messengers to these people with this reply. Hey, I'm carrying on a great project. I cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Let me repeat that. Why should the work stop Will I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message, and each time I gave them the same answer. No, 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 and no. In your notes, here's the no principle if you're taking notes. If I am clear on my identity and my mission, I'll be clear on when to say no. you got to know who you are. And who God has called you to be and what God has called you to do. If you're going to be good at this little art of saying this word, no. Now let's talk about Lent just for a moment here. Because some of you here, you don't even know what Lent is. We're beginning the season of Lent. And when you hear the word Lent, the, your first thought is, i got to give up something. And that's all you think it is. But you don't know why. Why do you give up something during Lent? What does that mean? You know, often on social media, they'll ask you, they'll have, hey, what are you doing? on polls on stuff. And there was a poll on Twitter about the things that people are giving up for, and thousands of people participated. Number one thing that people give up for Lent. You may know what it is? Chocolate. I'm suffering for Jesus by giving up chocolate. Second is alcohol. Third is social media. I'm giving up tweeting for Jesus. But we don't even know why. Sometimes we think that God is in the deprivation, that God likes, that God gets happy when you and I are deprived, right? But that's not the reason. Let me repeat what I just shared that somebody needs to write down. No is the scaffold by which God wants to perform spiritual surgery in your life. It's about the soul thing that God wants to do on the inside of us. Now, here's the problem. You say yes to so many things, to so many people, and so many situations, to so many good things, to too many wonderful, awesome, fantastic things, that you have no space left for God. You have no space left for the things that God has called you to do or for the people that you say you really love. And so God has given you this great gift of free will, and along with that gift of free will is the ability to say no. No to lesser goods so you can say yes to the greater goods. And God has a greater good for your life. He does. 
There's a great yes that God has for you, and God wants you to say yes to him. But we can't start there. Because right now, if I was to ask some of you to do any, just do one more little thing, just do one more little thing, you would go, So we got to start in Lent by emptying ourselves, by freeing ourselves from some of the stuff we said yes to, making space for God to do the spiritual surgery that he needs to do, okay? we got to learn the timing, when and how, the artful, grace-filled way of saying no in a loving way. Now, the good news is that we have an example in Jesus Christ who was the master of saying no. And do it in a way that was loving and kind and wonderful, but allowed him to stay on the mission for what God had called him to do with his life. And so we're going to learn from him. And we're going to kind of look here in Luke chapter 4. We're going to spend the rest of our time by looking at three temptations that Jesus had to say yes to, that he was tempted to say yes to. And he said no. We're going to see how those temptations relate to you and me and what our response can be during the season of Lent, how we can grow with this word called no. So over here in Luke chapter 3, we see that Jesus is baptized. He comes up out of the water, and there's a voice that speaks, a voice from heaven. And it says in verse 22, you're my son. It's God talking. You're my son. I love you, and with you I am well pleased. He knows his identity. He knows who he is, and God lays out his mission. Now over here in chapter 4, Jesus, verse 1, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan where he was baptized and led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Where for 40 days, that's where we get Lent, being 40 days. Where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. And the devil said to him, first temptation, if you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. Now, let's break down that little verse 4 for a second. We're going to focus on verse 4. First of all, it said, it is written. When you see in the New Testament that it is written, what does that mean? It means it is written. In what we and I call the Old Testament, they call the Hebrew Scriptures or the Torah. So Jesus is actually going to quote Scripture here in this encounter with the voice of the evil one out in the wilderness, and he's quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 8. Okay, so I'm going to read this to you. Deuteronomy chapter 8. Israel's out in the wilderness, right? That's where they are. And in verse, verse 3, uh, God says, uh, uh, Moses says, Hey, God humbled you, causing you to hunger, then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Now, when Israel was in Egypt, they were taught how you live by bread alone. In fact, their number one job was to build storehouses for grain to make bread. And they were taught, you need to have as much store, build the biggest storehouse you can, have as much as you can, it's going to run out, you're never going to have enough, grab it, grab it, grab it, grab it, grab it. They were taught, if you're in a position of power, you do whatever it takes, oppress people, enslave people, to make sure you stay in power and you get your needs satisfied. You do, that's what they were taught. God leads them into the wilderness to teach them a spiritual and an economic lesson. All that stuff you got taught in Egypt, that's a bunch of bunk. You can trust me. And I will provide. And that's what he teaches them in the wilderness. 
You don't live by bread alone. And that's what Jesus is saying. The rabbis would actually say this. This is what the rabbis would teach a lot of the Hebrew people. They would say, you cannot even receive the Torah, that is, the Word of God, until you've been fed by the manna of God. Why were they fed manna? Because they had nothing else to eat. And the only thing they could do was depend upon the goodness and the kindness of God. This past week, many of you found yourself without bread. You had to trust manna that God would provide, depend upon him. He said, that's where you find the truth. Now, here's the first temptation. First temptation. First temptation is you are what you have. You are what you have. That the voices of the world are going to tell you your identity, what makes your life wonderful, is what you have. And if you don't have much, you're really not much. Now, in the Bible, when it's talking about bread, speaking about your life is not on bread alone. Bread is, is not about toast. It's not about biscuits and gravy. Bread is about the acquisition of material goods that you and I purchase. And here's what the voice of the world says. You are, your identity is based on how much stuff you have. Your identity, you are defined by the job you have, by your title, by the amount of money you make, and the home you live in, and the clothes you wear, and the car you drive. That is who you are. That is what you're to do. And you are not to have any appetite. Hey, listen, you deserve it. I don't care what your appetite is. You deserve it. You can go have it. You gratify every single yearning and desire you want. Go get it. Because the more you have... That's how the world defines who we are. And everywhere you go, church, you're going to receive and hear the voices of the world speaking that into your life. So this young couple, they're married, getting a pretty good start off with a woman. She has this issue. And her temptation is when she sees a beautiful dress that looks good on her, she just can't not buy it. And her name is Kathy, and she just got to buy it. Her husband's a CPA. He pays all the bills. And he would see these little, little bills pop through. And so he said, to come to Jesus meeting with Kathy. Hey, Kathy, this is your temptation. You can't say no when you see something that you think is going to look good on you. When that happens, you need to say, get behind me, Satan. You got it? She says, I got it. So they're going fine, it seems. And all of a sudden, the bill comes through. The husband looks at it and goes, ah, it happened again. Kathy, I thought we agreed that when you saw something, I know I saw it, but it just said wow to me. It said wow. I said, this is going to look so good on me. It just, the voice said wow. I said, you're supposed to say, get behind me, Satan. I did. And Satan said, it looks good from back here too. <laughs> the voices of this world, we listen to them, and then we just, we buy into it. A great theologian from Croatia, he says this in his little book called Flourishing. Can we put this on the screen? When we live by bread alone, there's never enough bread. So we make much of it that rots away. When we live by bread alone, we always just want more and better bread. I got to have more. 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 And our identity is wrapped up in that. I remember in high school, 
when my parents could not afford to get me a car. It was economic. I had four kids in the family, and that wasn't their lot to buy me a car. And they weren't really big on me having a job because they had me, wanted me active in all these other things. So I didn't have a car. If I wanted to go out on a date, I had to ask out for the car when I was 16. I had to borrow the car. And we had two cars I could ask for them. The Mercury, which is a family car, or my dad's Studebaker. And the Studebaker was the car that you would have your parent park three blocks away from when they were taking you to school. You know what I'm talking about? That was that kind of car. And so I would always ask for the Mercury. So now I'm going out on this date, and I asked Dad for the car. And he said, yeah, okay, you can take the Studebaker. I said, no, Dad. I need the mercury. He said, well, listen, you can take the Studebaker or you can walk. So I took the Studebaker. When I picked her up, the biggest date of my life thus far, I apologized when I picked her up that I picked her up in the Studebaker. I said, I'm so sorry. This was the only car my dad would let me have. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And she said, I was so wrapped up in it. And she said, you know, really, no big deal. You know, I really kind of like guys. Who, I'm not into guys that have all the big fancy cars with the big fancy bodies. I was a scrawny little kid at 16 and everything like that. What's the point? Here's the thing. Here's the thing. And you know, yeah, what is the point? Yeah, what is, I don't know. The point was the car. The point was the car. That just, I shouldn't even have told you that. It says, here's the temptation. Here's the first practice. Do without some stuff. Just do without some stuff. In the Bible, doing without some stuff means fasting. That's all that means. Fast. Now, what is a fast? You're in Lent. We're in Lent. What is a fast? A fast is when I intentionally, temporarily refrain from consuming something I would ordinarily consume. That's all a fast is. So I can learn something about me and about God. See, if I don't do without stuff, I never know the hold that it has on me. I never learn anything. Here's what fasting is not. Fasting is not like going like a food, like on a hunger strike to get God to do stuff for you. Man, if I just do without, just do without, I'll just, then, then God will come. i got to starve myself to death and not have this. And so God will be pleased with me and God will give me more. That's not fasting. Fasting is not a diet. There is no how to make my body look sexy fast in the Bible. That doesn't exist in the Bible. Dieting may be a good thing. Go for it. But fasting is not about your body. It's about your soul. It's about what's going on the inside of your mind and your heart and your spirit and what has a hold upon you. When I fast, I'm teaching myself something. I'm teaching myself that I can do without something and I can survive. That it's not a tragedy to do without. Some of you learned that this last week, right? You did without water for a while. You did without power for a while. The wall, the world did not come to an end. You survived. Some of you thrived. And part of the purpose of fasting, of doing without stuff, it's for me to learn that my true dependency is not upon stuff, but upon God himself. To make space for that. So some of you, maybe you want to do a, fa a food fast. Maybe you do. I don't know. Maybe you do. Maybe you skip a meal. You know why we call it breakfast? Because people would skip the evening meal. Breaking the fast was in the morning. Breakfast. Breakfast. 
Maybe you're going to do a 24-hour fast one time during Lent, just 24 hours. Maybe you do that to find out the role that food has in your life and how important it is and the dependency about how you're more dependent upon food than you are upon God. Maybe you want to do that. Here a couple years ago, I suggested married couples that they consider during Lent uh, fasting from their sexual appetite. Uh, All of the men cursed me and the women said thank you. (laughs) So I'm not doing that this year. (laughs) How about shopping ladies? How about fasting from that little extra spending thing? How about cutting that out? See, for some reason or another, when you and I were born, we think we're nothing but a big bundle of appetites. When you were born, your parents, you opened your mouth and your parents stuck something in it and you were satisfied. Isn't that true? And some of us never grew up from that. We're all just big cookie monsters. And the world knows it. See cookie, eat cookie, one cookie, more, more, more cookie, more cookie. It's just more houses, more food, more clothes, more this, more this, more this, more, 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 more. And it's killing us. You got to go on a fast on something. Maybe for some of you, it's this little thing right here. You know there are people staying up 24-7 trying to find ways to get you more connected to this, to feed your appetite. To make you want it more. They learned years ago, you know, if we just make this thing buzz when somebody gets a text, they'll look at it. God did not make you to be buzzed. Some of you have been buzzed in worship, and I see you're checking it because you, well, I might miss something. I got to know something. I got to know something. 150 times a day, on average, people look at their phones. Can you imagine if 150 times a day you stop to look at God instead of your phone and make space for him, how different your life might be? I just ask you to think about it. Here's the second practice. Here's the second temptation. This is all going to come together pretty quickly here. I know you're worried. Verse 5, the devil led him up to a high place, showed him an instant hill on all the kingdoms of the world. He said, I will give you all the authority and their splendor. It's been given to me. I can give it to anybody I want to. If you worship me, it's all yours. Jesus, you can have the blessed resume. You can have the best resume of anybody who's ever applied for a job. You have more power than anyone. You can do stuff that nobody else can do. Here's the temptation. Temptation number two is you are what you do. That's who you are, what you do. So you worship your work. You sacrifice your health, your money, your family, your friends on the altar of achievement. Because you are what you do. That's your identity. That's where you get your value. That's where you get your worth. The second practice is to do less. Do less. See, in the Bible, the word for doing less stuff is fast. In the Bible, for doing less, it's called Sabbath. You know what a Sabbath is? That's when you carve out time where you normally do stuff, important stuff, big stuff, and you don't do it. And you protect the boundaries. You don't do it. 
You make space for God. You make space for family. You just make space to hang out and just not do anything. There's so many of us, we, we kind of measure our whole life by what we do. No. Some of you need to learn. This cartoon, famous cartoon in New Yorker. I love this little cartoon. It says, no, Thursday's out. How about never? Is never good for you? I want you to notice here in Luke chapter 4, Jesus is beginning his ministry. I want you to notice what he didn't do. He started his ministry. He didn't start by writing a book. He didn't start by doing a blog. He didn't start by recruiting some people and training them. He didn't start by healing someone. He didn't start by having a big crowd. He started by going to the wilderness for 40 days and doing nothing except being with God. During the epic storm of the past week, our son, Jacob, and his wife, Lennox, a wife, Lennox, Summer, and a granddaughter, our granddaughter, Lennox, and our three grand dogs were all in our house for a couple of days. Uh, we had a grand time. I didn't get much work done, but we had a grand time being together. And Lennox always wanted to play with Papa, and she wanted to play family. And when she plays family, she's the mama, and I'm the kid. And she said, Papa, let's play family, and you be the kid. So I said, okay, where are we going? We're going on vacation. What are we going to do? We're going to go hiking. I said, okay. So that's what we did last summer for vacation. She's mimicking it. So we're going on vacation. Now, Papa, I'll be the leader. You come, you follow me. And I said, okay. So we're going hiking, and I'm following Linux. But her little legs are going so slow. And I'm thinking that if we play a little faster, I can get some work done that I get to do, right? You know what I'm talking about? I got stuff to do, right? You know what I'm talking about? And so I get ahead of her. She stops and says, Papa, if you're going to follow me, you got to be behind me. Out of the mouth of a three-year-old. If you're going to follow Jesus, you've got to be behind him. Jesus went to the mountain, and he did nothing. He went to the seashore, to a quiet place all by himself, and he did nothing. At the end of his life, he went into a garden when everybody was, all the pressure, all the decision-making, all the pressure, all so much to decide, he went to a garden and did nothing. Some of you, you know who you are? Sabbath. You've got to find some time to do nothing. The final temptation. The devil led him up, verse 9, to Jerusalem, had him stand on the highest point of a temple. He said, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. That scares the bejeebers out of me. An opportune time. Here is the temptation. You are what people think of you. You are what you have. You are what you do. You are what people think of you. So be spectacular. 
make everybody happy, be your best you all the time, just make people feel good, whatever you do, don't tell them no, whatever you do, don't, don't make them feel bad, whatever, that would be terrible for somebody else to feel bad because you didn't please them the way, exactly what they wanted. You want them to think well of you, right? People pleasers. It's a prison. It's slavery. It's a loser's script. Jesus disappointed a lot of people. Think about this. The crowd asked him, hey, Jesus, be our king and defeat our enemies. He said, no, not going to do it. The Pharisees and the religious people said, hey, stop hanging out with those, those kind of people. You're not meeting our standards. Don't hang out with those low lives. He said, no, I'm not going to stop. I'm going to keep doing it. I'm not here to please you. His mother and brothers, hey, would you please come home? <laughs> would you please stop out there? You're making the family look bad. Would you stop saying all this stuff out there and just, just come home? Come on and be our kid. He said, no, I'm not, I'm not coming home. James and John said, hey, Jesus, can I sit, one sit on your right and one sit on your left when you get into heaven? And he said, no, can't. Isn't that interesting? All the people Jesus said no to and disappointed, but there's one person he never disappointed, and that was his Father in heaven. Because he came to please him and to please him only. In your notes, the third practice and the final thing is to do without human approval. Say no to somebody that you really, in your gut, you know you need to say no. Not out of spite, not out of anger, but you know on the inside, you just need to say no because it's not good for you. It's really not a God thing for you. And when they're not happy about it, don't feel bad and try to placate and make it feel better or send them another email or kind of follow up or text. Just let it be and stop trying to fix it. Because your identity is a child of God. That's who you are, a child of God to please the king and his purpose for your life. Jesus said no from the beginning of his birth all the way to the very end of his life. The crowd said, Jesus, you saved others, save yourself. He said, no. And God's, Jesus' no became God's yes to the greater good of forgiveness and mercy and salvation and love. See, if you can't say no, you can't really say yes. You're just giving in. you got to know who you are and God's mission upon your life to set the boundaries for who God called you to be. Everybody got that? Now, next week, we're going to talk about no. Everybody stand. If you're in the house, I want to invite you to stand. This is how we're going to leave. I want you to stand. Everybody stand. This is how we're going to leave. If you're watching online, you can't stand. I want you to stand because I know what's going to happen. We're going to end this service. You're going to click off right there or wherever you're watching or you're going to walk out of this building when you're here. And as soon as you walk out, the world's going to go, say all this stuff, right? We're going to ask you to do all, and you need to be able to say no. And some of you are weak at it. So we're going to practice on the count of three. On the count of three, with love in your heart, but with conviction of God, I want you to say no. One, two.
two, three. God, forgive us for all the stuff we have said yes to in this world. The material possessions that make us work and slave to pay them off and take care of them. Forgive us, God, for saying yes to just making everybody else happy all the time, of meeting everybody else's needs, saying yes, God, even to some good things, God, but crowding you out and, and crowding out, God, time with our family and the people that count on us the most, God, for us not showing up when they need us, God. Forgive us for those yeses, God. Forgive us, God, for being so busy that we've said no to you to being in your word and to prayer and to worship and to giving and to serving God. Forgive us. So God, help us to learn this little word when it's appropriate to speak it in such a way with grace and truth that we can live the lives you called us to live and be the people you called us to be like your son Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Next week is yes. You don't want to miss it. See you then. Bye.